week, you know that we are uh, going through this autumn series. We're working through Romans chapter 5 to 8. And we looked at the first two verses last week. But let's just take the time to read again uh, a few verses that we're going to examine today. So it's page 1132 in the Church Bibles. Page 1132. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Well, let's read from verse 1. It's all so good. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. Well, verse 3 is quite striking, isn't it? We also glory in our sufferings. Really? Glory in our sufferings? I mean, we examined last week the wonderful objective truth for the Christian believer, the person who's put their trust in Jesus. Objectively, this is true. Uh, we have been justified through faith. We now have reconciliation with God, peace with God, and we have access into this glorious grace in which we stand. The Christian life is lived in the enjoyment of God's grace, and we look forward to the hope of the glory of God. So it is objectively absolutely wonderful. But what is the subjective experience of the Christian? Well, verse 3 tells us the honest truth. Suffering. Objectively, the, the Christian subjective experience is one of suffering. And yet, surprisingly, we can glory in our sufferings. Now, this is a challenging statement, uh, particularly for those who are listening a lot to, or, uh, to the prosperity gospel that is being preached out there. Uh, there are some people who uh, preach that, um, well, you, you're not supposed to experience suffering or sickness or ill health. That's not the Christian life. There's a chap called Costi Hinn who's written a book that's called God's Greed and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life Built on Lies. And Costi is the nephew of Benny Hinn, the, the sort of the big TV prosperity preacher. And yet he's come as he's come to examine the word to see that actually the teaching that his Uncle Benny has been teaching is not right at all. And he said that one of the things that he experienced growing up in this family, in the Hinn family, was that people just didn't know what to do with suffering. And so if they would hear that uh, flu was going around, people would kind of quickly whisk their hands around themselves. Yes, it's going around me, not in your name, Jesus, not on me. And if people... Uh, talk about death, they would say, uh, in Jesus' name, not in this house, not through this door. They just couldn't cope with the notion that sufferings, disease, or death could ever be part of the Christian experience. 
But actually, as we come to Romans chapter 5, verse 3, we're confronted with this reality that the expectation of the Christian life is that we will experience suffering. We've heard from George in the video that you know, we, we suffer because we're in a broken, sinful world. We, we still experience all the results and consequences of that. We get sick. We get diseases. We die. Uh, we experience in this life uh, the heartache of a relational breakdown. Uh, people sinning against us, us sinning against other people. We are, are subject to the same experiences as everybody else of earthquakes and famines and disasters. This is part of living in this sin-cursed, broken world. We will experience suffering from that. And in addition, if we are Christian believers, the Bible is very clear, we will also expect that, that we will experience suffering for living for Jesus. Um, Jesus uh, taught this to his disciples. He said to the crowds, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. And he warned his disciples that, that uh, ahead of them, they would experience these sort of things. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. In John's gospel, he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is New Testament biblical Christianity. The reality of suffering in the experience of the Christian, the person who's put their trust in Jesus. And so as Paul and Barnabas finished their preaching tour, which has seen many people become Christians and churches established, they returned back to the churches, strengthening the disciples. It says in Acts chapter 14, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this is how they encouraged them. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Wants to strengthen them with the reality that, 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 that suffering is not a, a, a strange, weird thing that doesn't touch the Christian life. It is a normal part of the Christian life. But what's challenging as we come to these verses is, is this phrase, glory in our sufferings. How can that be so? And I want to suggest there are two reasons for that that I want us to meditate on this morning. The first is this, I can glory in my sufferings because of what God is producing in that suffering. I can rejoice in my sufferings because of what God is producing in me. Uh, if you want to um, get steel, which is very strong, you take some iron and you dump it into a huge smelting pot you heat it up to vast temperatures and all the impurities are burnt off and carbon oxidizes into it and you can put elements into it and you can create the strongest alloys that can that can be tough and cope with all sorts of things and so it is the bible says that god in his kindness 
is willing to use suffering in our lives to actually strengthen our faith. Paul is not a masochist that enjoys the experience of suffering. You're crazy if you go looking for suffering. No, my friends, suffering will, will find you. Don't worry about that. Don't go looking for it. Don't try and create it. Uh, if things are going well, rejoice, enjoy that. But suffering will indeed surely come. And the reason that we can glory in our sufferings is when we realize that suffering does not eradicate, destroy our faith. In fact, it strengthens it. It toughens us up. It strengthens our hope. And when we see that, we can even rejoice and boast in our suffering. Do you see this amazing chain? Uh, Look back at verse 3. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Uh, The original Greek word of perseverance has the sense of remaining underneath. Perhaps when... Uh, times are tough, we're tempted just to run away. But you know, there are some experiences in life uh, we can't get away from the affliction. We can't get away from the suffering. And this endurance, this perseverance is a willingness to submit ourselves under this downward pressure that suffering puts upon us. And when we do that, that actually grows our character, it says. Perseverance produces character. And the original Greek word behind the word character there has that sense of of something that has been proved genuine by testing. Something has been proved by experience that it's the real deal. And of course, suffering and uh, even success actually reveal to us the true character of a person, don't they? As pressure is applied on a person, whether that's through great success or, or, or suffering, you get to see what is really deep down in a person. Is the way that they've presented themselves, is that genuine or not? In the parable of the sower, Jesus describes how some people are like rocky soil. They seem to hear the word and receive it with joy, but they only last a short time. As Jesus says this, For when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. So actually, for some people, suffering and persecution means that they're not going to show around anymore. They're not going to show up anymore. They're off. That's not what they signed up for. Maybe they signed up for that gospel where I trust Jesus and everything goes great. And when I don't get that, well, I'm off. But you see, the person who is genuine, the person who is really trusting Christ and knows the preciousness of Christ, then when things get tough and they keep trusting Jesus, and keep clinging to that hope of the glory of God, they prove themselves to be genuine, the real deal, someone who is truly saved. 
And so that experience actually is the means by which their, their confidence that they're the real deal and that they will attain to the hope of the glory of God, that that will be theirs. It will indeed come to them, for they're proved through their suffering to be genuine. And ironically, as we read Scripture, and even as we uh, hear people talk about their experience of suffering and difficulty, we hear that suffering, by God's grace, can do that in the life of a genuine believer. Do you remember in the book of Acts, after uh, some of the apostles were arrested and thrown in prison and then were flogged and then they were stood before the, the, the Jewish authorities and they were warned not to speak of Jesus anymore. Uh, what was their reaction after being roughed up and treated so poorly? Well, they left rejoicing, it says, because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And they went out and continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter would later, later write this to Christians facing persecution in the area that we know today as modern-day Turkey. He wrote this, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. As we're hearing, it's tough in China right now. But it was tough in the past. There was, a, there was an era where all the, the missionaries were thrown out and people wondered what was going to happen to the church. Well, it turns out when the doors came back open, the church flourished. And amazingly, it wasn't that encouraging to hear, okay, a church has been closed down, but it turns out that there's groups spread right throughout the city. And actually, there's more preachers being raised up. And so the consequence of this, it seems to me, will... It's proving who the genuine Christians are, and they're going to go on the front foot with the gospel. How extraordinary. And I love it that you've got the objective truth of verses 1 and 2, which ends up in boasting in the hope of the glory of God. And then you've got this subjective experience, which is of suffering, persevering, a, a growing, strengthened character, and that ends in hope. It lands in the same place. In fact, God is at work in our sufferings to strengthen our hope. That was the extraordinary thing as we read Genesis chapter 50 and the account of Joseph, wasn't it? Um, the brothers meant to harm Joseph. They had evil intent. It was malicious. It was nasty to throw him down a well. They were going to kill him. And they decided to sell him into slavery. And various other terrible things befell him. He had a false rape claim made against him. And he was put in prison. And yet at the end, as he looks back, he can say to him, Well, you intended to harm me. You intended to do me evil. But God intended through those very same circumstances to do good. And to be a means of salvation to many. Well, that's the, the eyes of faith, isn't it? Even those who intend evil against us. We have such an amazing sovereign God that he can use those testing, trying, difficult things. To strengthen our faith and our hope and to be a means of spreading his salvation all the more. That's what I found incredible about George's testimony that we listened to earlier. He had the sense that um, 
even through his difficulties and his suffering, he would have an opportunity to share the love of God with his neighbors and friends as they looked on. And he had that sense too that, that, that all the different things in his life had built up to the point where it enabled him to cope with the struggles that he had day by day. Amazing. So that's the first reason that we can glory in our sufferings because we see what God is producing in us. But the second reason I think is also tied to it is because we see what God's Spirit is pouring into us in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the Christian hope of the glory of God will certainly not disappoint us at the end, for sure. But I actually even say, think that this verse is saying that this hope will not disappoint me in the present. It will not put me to shame in the present. Uh, we've got a lot of our teenagers away this weekend, but it will be true for them as it's true for perhaps students studying at university. There's lots of people at university who will try and make you feel ashamed of your faith in Christ. Treat it as a bit of a joke. Uh, try to mock you in it. But let me tell you that um, you have no reason to feel ashamed of your faith in Christ. It is an historical fact. And it is credible and rational. And compared with any other worldview out there, any other view that they're espousing, it's got nothing compared to the hope that you have in Christ. So do not be ashamed. And you will not be ashamed. It will actually be the uh, honor and glory of your life to be linked with Christ. This hope you have in Christ will not disappoint us, it says, because we have an inward experience of the love of God poured in our hearts. We're going to see as we look at the verses that follow this that we know objectively in history how God loves us. He's made it unmistakable and plain in history and so we can deduce from objective reality that we are loved. But in verse 5 it's saying something else. It's saying that actually the, the Christian believer experiences God's love poured in their lives. I think this is a, a, a wonderful thing. Um, every Christian has been given the Spirit. I mean, that's, that's what we learn in verse 5. Uh, the Spirit is pouring God's love into our hearts. It's through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Every Christian believer receives the Spirit of God. Uh, you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again or born from above, Jesus tells Nicodemus. This religious man, this upstanding man, still needs to be born, by, born again by the Spirit. And you cannot be a Christian unless you receive the Holy Spirit and get changed and transformed from the inside out. We're going to read in the verses that follow that, that before we're before Christ, we're powerless to do anything to save ourselves. We're sinners. We're enemies. And the only hope that we have is when the Spirit of God comes into our lives and gives us power to repent and believe. 
helps us to see the beauty of Christ and, and stir us that we want to trust Him and live for Him. So every Christian receives the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that Christians have a different level of experience of this love of God being poured in our, in our hearts. I think every true believer will have a sense of this to some degree or another. I'm sure Sunday by Sunday, when you come here and you sing these songs and you hear God's word read and preached, does your heart not sing with joy? Are you not strengthened in your faith as you think of the wonder of it, of the love of God for you as you head out the door? I, I think we all regularly have the sense of that. And in God's kindness, there are moments when he gives us little hugs, I think. And we have that just that overwhelming sense of the love of God for us. You know, it doesn't happen to me all the time. But I can think about points in my life where I've been overwhelmed with the sense of the love of God. And it's a little reminder. I think it's often the experience of those who are going through intense persecution and suffering. I think it's no surprise that verse 5 is linked to 3 and 4. It is often when we're going through the most difficult days and we sense our need of God and we draw near to Him and, we, and we're calling about upon Him. He blesses us with a sense of His great love for us. This experience of suffering, perseverance, character, it can sound a little bit grim. But it's not grim for the believer because alongside that is this overwhelming sense that in and through it is the God who loves us. And so therefore, I think we can indeed be bold enough to say that yes, I can glory in my suffering when I realize that God is doing something positive through it. It is what God is producing in me through this suffering. By his grace. And because of what God's spirit is pouring into me. That sense of God's amazing love. It all works to strengthen me. To know that this hope of glory is mine. And we keep pressing on. I think one of the great gifts that God gives us is brothers and sisters in Christ. Which is, this is the great encouragement of meeting together, isn't it? And we always have coffee and tea afterwards. Uh, because we know some of you are, are caffeine depleted. But the, the other reason is to is just give us an excuse to stick around each other. So that we can talk and share and encourage each other. Some people have had really tough weeks. And they need a word of encouragement, an expression of kindness and love. You know, some people didn't get, make it out of the bath today. And they were longing to be here. But you are here, so let's make the most of encouraging each other. And using our fellowship. And perhaps you've got some particular burdens and cares. Well, there's people who would love to be praying with you this morning. Just come down the front at the end. And they would love to hear and pray with you. And what I would say to you is you're saying, well, you know, I, I don't really have much of a sense of God's love for me and I, I'm trusting Christ. Ask him. 
draw near to him. Come nearer to the cross of Christ. We're going to see that really that is the objective proof of God's great love for us. We're going to see that next week. But let's use this time to encourage each other to keep pressing on in this week ahead. My friends, we are destined for glory. And nothing this world throws at us will keep it from us. Even the suffering strengthens us towards it. Wow. Let's pray.